This week on A Lively Experiment, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has turned the world upside down over the past week. We'll talk about the ripple effect it's having here. And $3,000 retention bonuses for judges with lifetime appointments are raising some eyebrows. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Bill Lynch, former chairman of the Rhode Island Democratic Party, attorney and legal analyst Lou Pulner, and former state representative Doreen Costa. Hello everyone and welcome to Lively Experiment. I'm Jim Hummel. Well, it feels like a month's worth of news has happened just since last week. And while we have our usual host of local issues to talk about, we're going to begin with what has consumed the news cycle over the last seven days. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, how this is going to shape foreign policy and to a larger extent, President Biden's agenda in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Lou, let me begin with you. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, maybe we'll start with the State of the Union and then we'll back off from there. Um, we'll, we'll get to the larger issue. You know, I thought the first 10 to 15 minutes was spot on and it's the first real unity we've seen in that chamber for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, unfortunately he just uh, then veered you know, sharply to the left as he always does now. And uh, I, I think it took, a, it took away from what could have been a very successful State of the Union speech. Uh, I'm more concerned about what's going on now. Uh, I think his policies, especially, you know, closing down the Keystone pipeline the first day he was in office. You know, we were energy independent and we were putting out 830,000 barrels a, a day. We're now buying 650,000 barrels a day from Russia. So we're financing Putin's genocide of the Ukrainians. That's where I am. Uh, and the State of the Union speech means nothing based upon everything else that's happening right now. Uh, so whether it was a great speech or it wasn't a great speech, it's all clouded uh, as a result of uh, his policy issues. And you know, yesterday, was it yesterday, Bill uh, Pelosi came out and said, we shouldn't be buying any more oil or gas from Russia. So where's, where's it going to come from? Well, that's we've got to start pumping it again, open up our, our pipelines, let's start fracking again on federal lands, and let's become energy independent. We were until a year ago when he took office. Would you like to give the Democratic response to that now, to Lou? <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought this was only a half-hour program. <laughs> we may have to go longer today. <laughs> well, look, I, I think when you're the president, no matter what party you're from, you, you have to deal with what the cards that you're dealt and obviously things changed dramatically in the past few weeks with respect to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine um, and and I think that the president um, has done a great job of addressing that with progressive penalties that are continuing to ramp up uh, as we go forward so I think his his response to that so far has been exactly as it should be um, measured um, and well thought out and I think that he is doing what he said he would do when he ran for office if something like this happened which is to reach out get the best advice from the best people and then make decisions that are best for everybody in the country going forward and, and he's doing that and obviously Lou and I have a, a significant difference of opinion as to 
uh, how he is doing on the domestic issues that we confront and face. And, you know, it's impossible to deal with those without acknowledging that we've gone through a pandemic, which, again, is certainly nobody's fault uh, of either party, but it certainly has presented immense challenges that nobody in my lifetime ever thought they'd have to confront. So to deal with those issues and still be able to right the ship and keep us moving in the right direction, I think the president's done a great job. And now we'll go for the Republican spot <laughs> response <laughs> to the Democratic response. Story. Well, um, you know, I respect you very much, but with gas, gas prices at almost $4 a gallon, milk, I paid $5.99 for a gallon the other day. That is not moving in the right direction. I did watch some of the president's State of the Union, but when he got up there and said, I stand with the Iranians instead of the Ukrainians, that was enough for me. I changed the channel. He did nothing to unify the country. He's talking, you have the progressive left and you have the, you know, not so progressive Democrats where they're, they're yay, bravo, you know, we stand with Ukraine. These are the same progressive Democrats that are putting the gun legislation in at the state house to take our guns away. Because they're like, nobody ever needs an AR. Why would you need an AR? So they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're over there applauding what's going on over there that, you know, we're helping them, we're giving them firearms. The same people that want to put the legislation in to stop us from buying an AR-15. So I find it a little hypocritical there. I mean, you can go look, the bills are already up online. And it's the same cast of characters that are, that are trying to do the same thing every year. Um, but as far as the president unifying, we're in big trouble. There, I don't see any unification anywhere right now. Well, but the larger issue, Lou, what about, you know, so now we're taping on a Friday morning. On Thursday, there was the whole issue with the missile hitting the nuclear mm. plant in in Ukraine. I guess I wonder what the flip side is. If, so the so NATO has never been more unified. So I think that's one, not the unification you're talking about. But NATO's never been more unified. But I wonder for all these people who are saying we need to do more, what would you do to do more? Well, I, I, I understand that there isn't really a heck of a lot more we can do. Uh, you know, with, Short with, of going in, which we sure, don't want to do. And, right? we, and you know, the, the thing the Ukrainians want most is for us to you know, shut off their, uh, the airspace and make it a no-fly zone because that's where they're getting destroyed by Russian uh, jet, jet fighters. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there is anything we can do because I think that would instigate World War III. Now, do I think the United, uh, the NATO allies would destroy uh, Russia in a heartbeat? Sure, but what does that now do with China? And where do they join in? I'm not worried about Belarus or Estonia, but uh, it, it could be a mess. But what bothered me the most was when we were talking about the sanctions that he imposed, President Biden, uh, he said, well, we're going to see what happens. It's not going to be immediate, but let's see what happens in 30 days. And when he said, let's wait and see what happens in 30 days, I'm saying, Ukrainian doesn't have 30 days. At most, they've got maybe another week. Maybe we could do what Doreen's friend, Lindsey Graham, says we should do, which Ooh, is yeah. get somebody to assassinate <laughs> Putin. He just yeah, said well, that. But he said yeah. what some, a lot of people are thinking. It's just, as a sitting U.S. senator, that's probably not the best thing to do. Who would have thought that Ted Cruz would be the voice of reason? Right. That's, that's kind of on the bingo card. Just before we get on to local issues, um, so what do you think for the next week and month? I mean, they're, they're tartin, starting to tighten the grip, but it's just so tough because this is a social media war now. We've never seen war unfold like this in real time and just the civilian deaths and everything else. It tugs at your heartstrings. Oh, it's, I mean, it's gut-wrenching. There's no question about that. Um, but I think that the president's response so far has been measured and is progressively ramping up, and I think that that was the proper thing to do instead of jumping right in. By the way, the same people that are criticizing the president, if we had gone from A to Z right away, would be saying, 
why did we do that? Why didn't we build this up and ramp up the progressive penalties? So that's, I think he's done that. He's united the, the world, with the exception possibly of China, uh, with respect to the response, what people thought that that would be something that he would not be able to accomplish. But what is unfortunately, you know, it, it takes sometimes, we've said it before in this program, sometimes it takes a crisis or something critical to wake people up and get people moving and pulling on the same oar. And that's, with the exception of China, I think, is what's happening right now. Well, I just keep asking myself over and over again, what is Putin thinking? I mean, when Bill just hit it on the nail on the head, the whole world is against him now. China's keeping their mouth shut. They haven't done a vote for uh, either up or down. They just kind of abstained on the U.N. vote. But what is he thinking? I'm the, thinking he's deranged. The picture that tells it is Putin's here in the 400-foot table, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And he's got the, it's like, that's kind of a metaphor for where he is right now. Right, no but you gotta, you got to remember, too, he controls the media out there. So right. uh, uh, the citizens there are not seeing what we are seeing. And he's making everything look, you know, peachy keen out there. So um, it, it's a big problem, and I don't see it getting any better Although anytime I, soon. I did see a story about some 22-year-old Ukrainian computer whiz, and he was hacking into all the Russian disinformation, <laughs> and he was saying, that's not right. And so right. get the 22 years old. They should have somebody on the cabinet who's 22 and uh, hacking into the computers. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? Can I pass that along <laughs> up the Democratic <laughs> chain to the president? I agree with that. Look, I think that that's one of the things that's changing the dynamics. I mean, he, yes, you're right. You know, he can shut off, you know, the local television stations. But in this day and age, it's become almost impossible to limit the uh, influx of so because of social media of news. And I think people in Russia are starting to catch on. Now, what they do about it is anybody's guess. He has an iron grip, clearly, on the military and what happens within the borders of Russia itself. But... The pressure is becoming immense. One of the things that people are seeing is people that have become multi-billionaires thanks to uh, Putin are now starting to get a little panicky. Have you show up in the soup kitchen yet or not? Yeah, suddenly it's not such a good idea if you start shutting off their money. So the, the, the interior pressure, I think, is growing. It's certainly not happening as fast as the people in, in Ukraine would, would like it to, but I'm, I'm re, re, remaining somewhat hopeful that uh, I hope that this starts to go in a different direction. I think we all do. All right, uh, let's shift back to local. As we, as I said before, we have a host of issues. This is something that thrilled Doreen. I say that fully tongue-in-cheek. Doreen texted me on Thursday night, and she said, hey, did you see that the governor extended the emergency order to April 1st? Uh, so I want to talk about that and kind of the race where it is because we haven't had you guys on for a while. Um, this really seems to be, I mean, the, the whole world is going in the direction, even my Barrington School Committee, which I never thought would take the masks off, or taking the masks off. W what do you think about him extending it? Because he has the legislative approval he to do it. He has the approval yep. to do it. I don't understand why he would continue this. I, um, every single day, around 1.30, quarter two, I go to the Department of Health website, hit the COVID numbers, run, and you can see the numbers. I think Wednesday we had 140. 58 or 159 cases in the entire state. Yeah, 2%. No, no, and then we, we were even lower than that. I think we were 1.3% last week. So we're, we're dabbling between 1.5% and 2%. With 159 cases in the state, why are, we still, why, did, why are we still in a state of emergency? The hospitalizations have dropped dramatically. The, the, the numbers have dropped. I mean, every single statistic, and it's not just Rhode Island, it's throughout the country. And we're the, number one, we're the number one fully vaccinated state in the country. Fully right vaccinated in the state of the capital. country. So I don't understand why the governor will continually do this. 
it, it just it just boggles my mind. I think, I mean, look at us here. We don't have masks. I mean, I'm only two feet away from Bill. We're fine. I'm okay. I think we're all going to be okay. COVID's not what so. you have to worry about about being <laughs> <No. Bill. laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the one thing I was happy to hear is Doreen congratulating uh, Governor McKee for getting Rhode Island to be the number one vaccinated that state in the country. That wasn't me. So, I mean, I think that's something that we should be happy about. I agree. Look, this this pandemic has had so many twists and turns. I think that the governor is moving um, pragmatically. I think he, and I've spoken to him, is anxious to try to move out of this whole pandemic situation, but he wants to do so in a safe, organized fashion. And one of the reasons, frankly, that you, know, that you see some people in other states keeping some of these emergency orders in place is because it keeps federal money flowing into the state that we would not but otherwise get. Money? So I've heard that argument, Bill. We have a, a billion, billion seven <laughs> that we're sitting on that we're not spending. What? How much more money do you need as opposed I, to the cost? I'll take as much as we well, can I get. I know, but as to the cost of people saying psychologically, let's get back, let's get businesses, let's get the restaurants mm. and all that. So I've heard that money argument, but I just but, I don't get that. But I think we're doing that. I think we're getting back. And Doreen's right. We're sitting here. We did this program virtually for, I don't a know, year. over a year. So I think that we're getting there. Um, you know, I'm a practicing attorney. I'm back in court now that, you know, I wasn't doing for over a year, year and a half. So uh, restaurants are back open. So, I mean, progress is being made. I think that, that the governor, in conjunction with the uh, leadership of the statehouse, is, is moving forward correctly, but not rushing into it. And I think everybody got a little bit hesitant with Omicron, right, when we sort of felt like, we made these steps. We were getting out of this. Well, the, the governor COVID. admitted that. They were ramping right. down and I, and Thanksgiving. I, and, and, but Bill, and where's we the end alone. game? Where's, where's the end game? Nobody's telling us what the number has to be before we end. The metrics. You the mean. metrics. If yeah. you look at the metrics, with 159 cases, it still says we have a high transmission rate. Yeah, who, I, I don't, who, I've I don't never understand that, that. that high transmission. So yeah, where's the end? I think people just, cons and, I, and I know that everybody's anxious to put this behind us and move forward. But I think that, and there's obviously a difference of opinion as how quickly we should do that. I think we're there, close to there. But I think that the, that you know another few weeks isn't going to kill anybody. I just don't buy Literally. the fact. That, I just don't buy the fact that we're still in a state of emergency, and I think that's just a control issue. And I think it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I, like I, I went to the Civic Center and watched PC uh, in Villanova a week or two ago, and uh, there were 12,600, 300 over capacity. There wasn't a mask in sight. Why are we still in a state of emergency? But, we're but, not, is my point. But the other issue I have is when you say we're in a state of emergency, if, if, you, if you walk through that same dunk and asked a thousand people, are we in a state of emergency or not, most people I don't think would know. And most people would say, so I don't even know what that means. So we know what it means from a legislative standpoint and that the governor can do certain things. I don't, I've never had anybody come up to me that I can think of and say, I can't believe we're still in a state of emergency. But it's changing it's my all, life. It's, 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 all, it's all strictly but, politics. But, and the reason I yeah. say it's all politics is because everyone who's running against McKee for governor, they all still think we should have mask mandates. Uh, yeah, so it I is all politics. That. Let's but just here, agree Here's the larger issue. I heard on the radio coming in this morning that the House passed a resolution. No, I'm sorry, the Senate, U.S. Senate, passed a resolution to disband the national emergency of President Trump. Yes. That, and that the House is hesitant. So this plays into 
to the critics on the right who say it's a control issue, mm -hmm. the Democrats want control, and they want to, whatever the theory is leading up to Election Day. Wouldn't it help from a national standpoint to say we're done in your well, mind? Well, it would help with those people clearly who believe that's the case. Um, but there's also people on the other side of the spectrum who would say we shouldn't be doing that yet. So it cuts both ways. There's no question but there's a political part of this whole scenario. I mean, everything we do is somehow affected. And now in Rhode Island, as much as anywhere, we're now entering you know, an election year so that all of these issues are going to get debated you know, ad nauseum, I think. But, but there's, there's clearly some politics to it. I mean, it's impossible to, to say otherwise, I think. I agree with you 100%. And this is all political. All of a sudden, there's no masks. You know, almost no masks in schools is optional. And, and, you know, we'll talk about Barrington after, but they, um, they're going back and forth with the masks. They're starting to ease up the restrictions. Why? Because it's an election year. Do you think that if they kept every us in masks, they kept the restaurants halfway closed, they had all these um, things that they had to do as far as putting the plexiglass up and everything else, they would have never, ever, ever won anything coming up in this election cycle. I mean, granted, you can talk to Democrats, you can talk to Republicans. doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. The Democratic Party is in major trouble this year. I think you know it. We all know it. They you mean nationally? Nationally and locally. You don't think there's going to be a sweep locally, do you? I don't know. I mean, I say the same thing every year, and it never happens, but I'm an optimist, so <laughs> I'm always going to say, hey, you know, we're going to Some would this. say that might be insanity. No, no. It's, uh, it's, I, I just believe in what I believe in my Republican values. I mean, I would never vote for Dan McKee. I would never vote for Nellie Gorbea. You don't I, have a candidate to vote for yet, though. Well, we, we, we might. She reached out to me, and we're kind of, I call her back. So I, call her back. We're playing phone One of the tag, reasons so, I came today was I know. thought that Doreen was going to announce she's the Republican candidate for governor. <laughs> oh, you never know. You just never know what's going to happen. Just very simply, all the Democratic governors came out on pretty much the same day and said, hey, you know, we're going to drop all these mandates. You don't have to wear masks anymore. And it wasn't following the science like they've been saying for the last two years. It was following the political science because the polls came through. Mm -hmm. They saw their numbers, and we're getting much closer to the midterm. So it was the political science, and that's not my term. I'm borrowing that from uh, someone else, but that's what it was. What, what frightens me really quick, Jim, if you don't mind, is that you're right. It's is political, and and you have Nellie Gorbea, who is running for governor, who wants to keep the mask on mm -hmm. the children, who wants to go back to flatten the curve. And she just said that less than a couple yeah, of weeks I don't ago, get that. right? And she said she wants to follow the metrics. When you asked her what metrics. I don't know what I don't know what metrics. So if you vote for these people and someone has a sniffle or a cold or there's one or two cases of COVID, the state's going to be in shutdown again. I don't care who, who's on the Democratic side. Just before we move on, you've got a lot of candidates. Uh, I know you're kind of Switzerland here, but you've, you've <laughs> navigated this before as the party chairman when you have people jockeying. The governor is going to have to now put the pandemic somewhat behind him and then run on, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks on this show, on, on his platform. How do the other candidates break through? When you have, I mean, the, the incumbent always has the, he has us following him around and everything else. What is the path for the other candidates to try to nibble away at the governor? It's hard. Uh, it's hard. Uh, and that uh, clearly was one of the things we talked about here when, when Gina, you know, moved to Washington and, and uh, Governor McKee became the governor. Uh, it makes a difference. Um, but, you know, obviously each of the candidates um, that are running uh, believe and, and have their own strengths uh, and things that they will focus on. And that's what they're doing so far. 
and you know let the people um, initially in the Democratic Party make a decision as to who they think is the best standard bearer and as of right now there isn't even a, a legitimate Republican candidate to worry about in November um, so the, most of the focus will be clearly on the Democratic primary but you know it's difficult but whether you're whether you're Nelly and you can talk about the great things you've done in, in, in the office that you've held um, so far um, um, you know, it, everybody has their strengths and their ideas about how they can do better. Um, my hope always is that it doesn't become, you know, a nasty, divisive, you know, sort of um, primary with personal animus as so much of our politics has become because I think that's destructive. When I was a chair, I always found that very destructive because I had concerns about a November election mm -hmm. because I had you know, what do you do after the primary? Well, I had legitimate Republican candidates to worry about, particularly for governor. So mm -hmm. that was a grave concern that I had. Um, but even if that's not the concern this time around, it's still, you know, one of the things I've noticed, and you and I have talked about this over the past 20 years or so, is the the erosion of respect within the political system, and it's become so personal. Everything is it attacks negativity. And I think that over time, I think that that has affected how people see all of the elected mm -hmm. officials, uh, Republican and or Democrat. And it's probably kept some people on the bench. Absolutely. So I it talked was to people, what Colin Powell went through all those years ago when he decided not to run for president. I talk to people right. still on a regular basis in Rhode Island who would be great, even if they don't want to run for a statewide office, they'd be great at the state house, even on some city town councils. And the response I get is, what are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, why, why would I want to do that in this environment? Yeah, I've got nothing to add. Bill and uh, Doreen expressed my feelings. All right, one thing, uh, Doreen, you and I talked about off uh, camera: uh, the three thousand dollar bonuses, <laughs> which were controversial a couple of uh, months ago when uh, Governor McKee announced them as vaccine bonuses. Now they've shifted to retention bonuses. Look, I think it's clear for state workers, union and non-union. Look, I think it's clear if you give one. There's an equity issue. The issue that I think a lot of people have is the judiciary with lifetime tenure. So if you want I to think, talk about that. Yes, I think uh, the governor made a huge misstep um, giving lifetime appoint appointees, the governors, the I'm sorry, the judges, they're there for life. So with or without the $3,000 bonus, you can call it a retention, you can call it what you want. It's a bonus. No, just to it's clarify. A, it's, it's a it, vote. The governor you paved the way for that, but the judiciary controls its own budget. So really... I understand. He still had to approve it. The GA had to approve it. It, it still had to be approved. Um, this is a way that the Democrats and Governor McKee can start buying some votes because I think it's going to be, I mean, I'm a political junkie. I, I watch everything. I read everything. I think this is going to be a very, very heated primary. And I don't think that it's a given that Governor McKee will get reelected. No, but I, they, but, I don't but, but, but these, think so. but these, these, and again. But this is going to help him with the votes. Well, that's because the, the, the second $1,500 payment is just before the primary. Right. So, I mean, timing is everything. And, so you know, in the words of uh, former Speaker Gordon Fox, uh, you can call it a, uh, a vaccine bonus, you can call it a retention bonus, but you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a so, pig. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, too, is you have people making a quarter of a million dollars, 200000 it's almost like what they did at the legislature years ago. There were people who were receiving health benefits, and mm -hmm. they said, you know what, I'm not going to take those. So, look, the, every judge can make his or her decision, but I just think publicly it's not, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. I think the issue, and it happens again and again, is the message has been bad. Garbled. <laughs> yes, and, and, and I've said that, frankly, about the National Democratic Party, um, at the risk of sometimes sounding like... 
I agree with Lou on something, which is frightening, but um, I think it's more the message. And I think, first of all, the governor did not approve or have anything to do with the, what the judiciary did. And, and frankly, Judge, uh, Chief Justice Sattel, who, who, by the way, is a former Republican lawmaker, is not only a brilliant judge, mm. but one of the most honorable, hardest working people that I've been around in my career as a lawyer. He does a great job both when he was on the family court and now on the Supreme Court. And I think what all they did was sit down and look at this and say, look, the governor has done this uh, for, for the union employees. And anybody who's been in state government, and we're around the courts all the time, you have this tremendous um, interaction of, of union and non-union employees, but you'd never know the difference. Right. So I think the, the, the issue was, how do we try to equalize this? And basically, I think they just said, let's just make it fair across the board and issue a, a proclamation that everybody gets this, treated the same way. And that included the judges because that they're in that category. So I don't think it was really meant to be a, a retention bonus. Do you think he's mortified by the, by the I mean, look, I agree with you on Paul Sattel. Couldn't, you know, I've known him for not as long as you, but 35 years, going back to his days in the legislature. Do you think he's mortified by all this coverage that's coming out? It makes him look like they're, you know, at the trough. I, I haven't spoken to him, but I think I think that they would do it differently um, and probably address it differently, you know. Uh, but hindsight's always twenty twenty, um, so it, it hasn't been a good look. But I think it's in in many ways much ado about very little. Okay, let's do. Uh, we got to do outrages and or kudos because we're heading into the home stretch here. Counselor, what do you have? Not you, counselor. You, counselor. Well, you know that I've never done a kudo, and matter of fact, my outrage you already got it. It was about our energy policy and the fact that. We're still funding uh, Russia by 650,000 barrels of gas. I was wondering whose electric car that was out in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My kudo, though, because that was my outrage, goes to uh, Attorney General Peter Nerona. Uh, we just settled on a $45 million uh, settlement, a bankruptcy settlement with Purdue Farmer and the Sackler family. Mm. And it was Nerona who just a few months ago rejected the first settlement offer of $20 million. So now it's up to $45 million. And something he wanted further was the fact that the Sacklers be held responsible. They will now be issuing a letter of regret. And they've also agreed that their, the Sackler family name can be removed from all scholarships and institutions. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Doreen, what do you have? Well, I have an outrage. As, as we were talking last night, I went to the Providence College championship game last Saturday night. And you could not even walk on the sidewalks. They were full of snow. We had to, we had to jump over snowbanks. Um, knowing that there was going to be 13,000 people at the dunk that night and people were coming from all over the country and, you know, spending money and staying at our hotels, you think, uh, you think the mayor would have cleaned up the city a little bit, but it was an absolute mess. Were they just all walking in the street then? Or yes, we were all walking in the street for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would think the one thing he could do is, I mean, maybe not get the whole city plowed, and I understand it was rain freezing, but that's the one area, maybe the square mile around the dunk. Mm -hmm. yeah. Bill, what do you have? I'm going to skip my outrage, which was going to be Donald Trump, you know, speaking such in glowing ways about Putin and this whole issue in Ukraine. And, Seems and like you just said it. I'm going to go to a kudo <laughs> instead, and it's got to be my man Ed Cooley um, yes. talking about Providence College. I mean, here's a, a, a guy who is just an, the, an absolute uh, legend in Rhode Island, as he should be. And I mean, it's just an amazing that we've had somebody come up from the ranks like him and be able to reach the heights he's gotten to. Um, it's great, not only for Providence College, obviously, but for the entire state of Rhode Island. And uh, he's done it the right way when, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine and we're 
you know, should be proud to have him, and I think he deserves a pat on the back for an incredible season that he's put together. And it's really kind of given everybody, I find, a little bit of a, a, of a boost, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of the pandemic. We got fans back at the dunk. They've had the, one of the best seasons they've ever had. And I think it, it's... And he's a Providence we, we kid. We ought to give him right. Yeah. He so went to they showed video of him in the central central plane in the high school. And I'd never seen that video before. Of yeah, him he's, running out. So yeah. I've known Ed since high school. He's a better coach than he was a player. I will say that. <laughs> and uh, you tell that to his face. Yeah. It, was, it was great being there that night, getting <laughs> yeah. that trophy and, sure. and being a part and of it. So, Folks, that is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Lou and Bill and Doreen. It always goes by quicker with you guys. Uh, we hope you come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.